Welcome to the Healthy Charleston Podcast, where we help you take ownership of your health and fitness. My name is Hannah, and I am here to be your source of accurate health and fitness information while spreading awareness about all of the different health and fitness resources available to you in the Charleston area. Be sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. I hope you enjoy the show. Today, I'm talking with Amber Fender, owner of Tides Therapy. She is a licensed independent social worker and specializes in crisis response, grief and loss, anxiety, trauma, depression, and relationship and communication struggles. So a lot of things that we all deal with as humans. She shares her story. We talk about what grief really is, trauma and how we process it. EMDR and how to cope with trauma. And we even do a resourcing exercise with me on the show. So before we start, I want to invite you to subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. And now on to the show. All right, Amber, welcome. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to we have a lot of things to talk about. Yeah. Learn more about you to learn more about cognitive behavioral therapy, mental health, all of the things. Can you start by just telling us who you are and what you do? Yeah. So I'm Amber Fender. I'm a licensed clinical social worker uh, with South Carolina board approval to supervise social workers seeking licensure. So right now I also have a practicum mental health counseling student, Jessie Howe, and she's from Colorado Christian University. She offers sessions at a reduced rate to help our community, but I provide mental health teletherapy for adults in South Carolina and Florida, and my areas of focus are helping people with identity, life transitions, and anxiety, which includes PTSD and trauma. So like everyone ever struggles with those things, right? Right. If you've ever been to therapy, then yes, it encompasses all that. So can you tell me your personal story of what led you to to do this and to start this? Yeah. So a little bit about my background. So many therapists, right, I'll just start with, are kind of uncomfortable with self-disclosure. Um, and that's okay for them. But I feel if I can be open and transparent, it empowers other people to do the same, right? So the devil's in the details. So I'll share with you just briefly about my background. I grew up in a small town in South Carolina, and that was pretty uneventful. Um, so <laughs> that's it. That's, that's all it. that happened. Yeah, the end. <laughs> um, so at 19 years old, I was actually diagnosed with salivary gland cancer. So I was in my sophomore semester of undergrad at an Alabama university, nowhere near South Carolina in my little tiny town that I grew up in. Um, And I had no clue how to deal. So I was living in fight or flight mode. And that's what I now like to call monkey mind mode. Mm. And I was terrified. And I found myself angry at God and my body because for the first time in my life, I was grieving the loss of the life and the body that I was supposed to have at 19. So at the time, I had no clue why I was actually angry. (laughs) I was just reacting and I didn't know I would grieve for those same things, you know, several more times over the next 15 years. But even with the grief, something really, really incredible happened in the quiet moments between my anger and tears and all that ugly stuff. I found out who I really was. And I was there to find out, you know, what am I, what am I supposed to be doing with my life? Oh um, gosh. Right? <laughs> at 19. Yeah. Just at 19. So yeah, I had to start accepting myself for, 
being broken and find compassion. And what what did compassion look like, right, when you're 19? And it was a difficult question for me to answer because many of us have family members who have some mental illness or experience with uh, mental health issues. Well, my mom has a mood disorder and reactive attachment issues. Um, that went undiagnosed for years growing up. So before you get the impression, though, that I'm like on the let's blame mom train, because I'm not, um, this isn't about blame. It's just important to understand where we come from and how we developed our view of ourselves and the world. So this means, like, is the world safe? Am I okay to be myself? But who's more influential than your parents? Like, most people look to their parents for how did, how did I become who I am? So for me, all this growing up meant that life was really unpredictable. So whether it was okay to be me and whether I could trust the caregivers in my childhood was never really a sure thing. So everyone reacts a little differently to this type of upbringing. So for me, <laughs> I used industry or busyness to deal. You know, those, those of us who you might describe as like anal or type A or something like that, like sometimes it's a temperament thing, but for me, it was actually a result of like trauma. So in my childhood, if I was productive, I was safe and I received love. Now, this was the only model for self-regulation that I had had for like 19 years. It's a long time. So with this cancer diagnosis, processing through what was happening to me meant being handed sort of a new identity. Now, with this insecure attachment and untreated harm, it felt like I was white water rafting without a paddle or a helmet, or a life vest. Or a raft. <laughs> or a raft entirely, like just sort of getting carried, yeah, um, by the forces that be. So, but the universe, or God, I'm not really sure which, was uh, grabbing my shoulders and saying, just like, slow down all the grades, your jobs, your first dates, the clothes you're wearing. None of those are going to tell you who you are and why you're here. So once, you know, much as the universe often does with us humans, I was forced to slow down without the option because something more important needed to happen to get me on the right path. So once I stopped being so incredibly busy because I had to, I started really seeing the value of time. So here's where it gets really, really good. Okay. In the fall of 2007, I experienced for the first time an outpouring of unconditional compassion and kindness, right? That's the fall that I got my diagnosis. So if you want to be bold, you might even call it spontaneous, unconditional love. My own identity issues said that I was only valuable and lovable if I was efficiently productive, right? Thin, attractive, which are separate things, by the way. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> and likable, right? Like, I have to be likable, too. So now in this broken, like, super vulnerable state, I was shown that not just family members and old friends would come around and support me but also like the nurses and the doctors at UAB, employers for the jobs I had at the time, college professors, they would even show like softness and acceptance without me having to earn it from them. And this was groundbreakingly uncomfortable. <laughs> so my eyes were opening to a new way of looking at the world and myself simultaneously. So like a lot of things were going on. So once I recovered, it occurred to me that I could be this way too. 
like those people. I wanted to like emulate them. I wanted to see others the way they saw me. So that meant starting with taking care of my body, getting rest, keeping my doctor's appointments, and yes, finishing my semester with all passing grades. So for the first time, I really had a direction. I wasn't just landing somewhere and reacting. So I eventually changed my major from nursing to psychology because my homeschooling had not prepared me for the organic chemistry courses. I failed twice. (laughs) Yep. But I was still a force to be reckoned with, right? So medical social work is where I found my passion for seven years. And I'd like to say the major lesson that I learned was how to slow down long enough to balance my identity. So it's an active process, right? Some of what was important five years ago really doesn't matter at all now. And some of it matters even more. So now I'm a mother of two beautiful children, one of which has autism diagnosis, which I never saw coming. Knew nothing about autism, but now I know way more (laughs) than most people. Um, But I love my life because I frequently take time to make sure that my actions are leading me down the path that I want to be on. So it's interesting because a colleague of mine, Austin O'Malley, recently asked me, who are you? And yeah, challenged me to not give the answer of, well, I'm a wife, I'm a mother, all that stuff. Because all those things could change tomorrow. And then, you know, what would I have? So not to be too morbid, but if my children and husband were no longer alive and I mostly identify only as a wife and mother, then I have no identity if they cease to exist, right? So what's worse than grieving? For me, it would be grieving without any identity left. And that's what led me to hospice social work for seven years. That's what led me to where I am today, that pursuit of grieving with identity intact. So finding balance in who we are really takes a lot of work. Um, The material world really tends to suck us in if we're not mindful and intentional about each and every day. We are not our bodies, we're not our jobs, or what other people tell us that we are. So, right, what what are we, who are we, is the question, right? What a question. Yeah. So, wow. yeah, now that doesn't stop me from being overly ambitious. Yeah, (laughs) clearly. I'm still super busy (laughs) um, because I, I love keeping busy. And so that's more of a temperament thing and less of a trauma response at this point. But, you know, I want to see how much I can squeeze into every day because, you know, I'm still subject to the human condition, I like to say. But that's just like the rest of us, you know, just like any listener right now. So by I'm hoping by talking openly about these things that I can support this community because most people can relate to at least some element of my story. So for right now, building community partnerships with true transparency seems like a really good way to start. So being able to adapt your perspective and find the light in your life, you know, leads me to the the quality of life that's more about embracing every day for all the turbulent beautiful changes that it might bring. So my hope is, you know, embracing life for its possibilities that might lead you down a road of what is your identity? What I like to call your you-ness, right? Is, Is it at your maximum potential? Often, you know, our feelings of depression, anxiety, inadequacy, they all come from different sources. But the really cool thing that unifies us in this world of being disconnected and too busy 
is we all want similar things, right? We want connection. We want love. And we want to let go of hurt so that we can be more in the moment without all that baggage. So, you know, if I, I tell my clients, like, if you found that being you is difficult, my hope is that they find a path to peace through just slowing down long enough to identify who they are. And sometimes, a lot of times, that takes healing. It sounds like it takes a lot of time and a lot of work. Thank you for sharing your story. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, as you explain it, I can very clearly see like all of the lessons that you learned and exactly like how, when you said embracing change, embracing life for its possibilities and, you know, talking about identity and grief, like it was so clear that that's exactly what you went through. Like as a 19 year old, I was in college, like I was a sophomore and I was going to class and I was partying and like, that was what I always expected it to look like at 19. Mm -hmm. And then you take like someone who you grew up somewhere where being productive and achieving was like how you, you know, quote unquote, earned love. Yeah. And then you, you put that in a college scenario where you expected to just keep on that path and then bam, you get this diagnosis (laughs) where like your identity completely changes. And so I think, I mean, I resonate with it a lot. I think a lot of, of so many people do like your, your self-worth is wrapped up in an identity that is like almost unchangeable. Mm-hmm. And so as soon as something happens, cause that's life, you know, there's three hours of traffic or mm-hmm. something happens. Yeah, welcome to Charleston. <laughs> welcome to Charleston. <laughs> three hours of listening. Welcome to your morning. Hopefully commute. <laughs> you are listening to this in the traffic. So at least you're getting something out of your traffic. As soon as something like gets in the way of that, you're completely lost because you don't have any, you don't have a path. You don't have any resources. And it sounds like for you, it was a a really cool story. Like you got a really great experience in the, you know, healthcare industry that all of these like workers were showing you so much love that it almost like proved to you. Mm -hmm. You're like, Oh, if they love me and I'm not doing anything, Mm -hmm. I'm not producing, I'm not doing, I'm just being like, how long did it take you to to realize I can love myself for just being. That took a minute. <laughs> just, just a minute. <laughs> a hot minute. A hot minute. And, you know, this is part of my transparency that I'm bringing is that any good therapist, and I'm not saying those people who haven't been to therapy aren't good therapists, but any really good therapist has been to therapy because they've been brave enough to venture down that path and like blaze that trail in advance so that they can clear all their junk out of the way, Mm. whether it's, you know, bullying as a child or mom and dad, you know, changed the rules unpredictably or something more significant. A good therapist is going to look inward and face those demons down and not just like conquer them, but making peace with them. So the demons don't have anything to fight anymore, right? They just sort of melt away. That's my approach is that this isn't about like, let's take life by the horns and make Mm -hmm. it what we want. I mean, that's great and all, but there's a way to do it with compassion and there's a balance there. So being okay with who I am is, I would say, honestly, an active daily process because I, right, thinking back to that question of who am I, who are you, 
that's going to change. It was different five years ago than it is today. It could change tomorrow. And I have to get in touch and center with, okay, if I am a therapist, but I suddenly fall ill and I cannot provide therapy, then what am I? So reassessing and getting out of that headspace of being too human almost mm-hmm. and not being a spiritual human being is is the practice. So to answer your question, the very long-winded version is, you know, it's a it's a daily it's a daily process of being okay with who I am. Yeah, I mean, I fully agree. I think also in the past few years, I don't know if it was COVID that kind of shook everyone, but like you see this push on social media that's, you know, you're more than what you produce you're more than what you do because so many of our identities are wrapped up in I'm a PT, you know, like you said, like Mm -hmm. I'm a wife, I'm a mom. And then those things go away and you're just, you don't, you don't know anymore. But it was ironic. You said so many people, like we all want connection and we all want, you know, intent and presence, but we're so busy Mm. that we don't even allow ourselves that because we're just so wrapped up and, we're busy and our time and our schedules are full that you can't be present. And so I, I love the message of slowing down. You mentioned grief and trauma and identity. How would you define those things? Which one? Let's start with grief. Grief. So it's it's interesting. Um, there was a time in psychology where we labeled grief as a mental illness. It was diagnosable. Um, and I see your surprise yeah, face right I mean, now, like, what? Yeah. <laughs> and luckily, our society has come far enough that it's no longer diagnosable because it's not an illness. It's a natural state of being. So there are probably people who are much more eloquent than I am, but um, I would probably term grief as processing and moving on with a loss. So that is not death always. And and to be honest with you, you know, when I was 19 and then thereafter for a few years while I was going through therapy, I was experiencing grief and had no word to put to the feelings that I was feeling. And so that would be moving on with the loss, not moving on away from it because it's going to be a part of you. True grief never 100% in my opinion goes away. It's just that you would be less sensitive to it. With my, with my clients, um, I've many times, and this is not unique to me, I learned this from someone else, like many things in therapy, I have drawn for them a picture when they are going through grief and it's, it's a square, which is a box. And inside that box, the first picture, there is a really big ball inside the box. And there's a little button, little trigger button. And I'll ask my clients, say, okay, what? What happens when that box gets shaken by life? And what would you say, do you think, Hannah, to that answer? What happens when my when my box gets when you're shaken? Box, yeah, when the, the box gets yeah. shaken by life. What I, happens to the ball and, and, oh, and the oh, button? It goes, oh, well, the button gets pushed. Right away. Yeah, right constantly. Away. Yeah, everything yeah. is like, this is horrible. What am I going to do? Right. Crisis. <laughs> this is not the path that I was on. Yes. Nothing's yeah. normal. Nothing's okay, right? Constantly. But as time goes on, the box stays the same and the trigger stays the same size, but the ball gets smaller and it shrinks over time. That's good. Yeah. So life shakes that 
that box around and then the trigger gets hit less and less and you'll notice it and it'll sting now and then, but you can make peace with it, right? What happens when we don't process through grief is that that ball stays really, really big because we can't let go of it, right? And we're holding on to it for whatever reason, our negative core belief. So that would be my identification of grief and how I sort of help people identify what it is. Um, and interestingly enough, if you're familiar with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and the six stages of grief, might be five now that I'm thinking of it. D-A-B-D-A. -D -A. There's five. Okay. <laughs> I often try to insert another one in there and I'm not sure why, but my brain <laughs> says there's six and there's definitely five. Hey, make your own. Yeah. But it's um, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And she actually, when she coined the stages of grief, it was not for people who had had a death. It was for people going through cancer diagnosis. So at some point we, we knew that, and then we've lost that sort of along the way. So grief is all encompassing and loss. So that's, that's sort of my definition of grief and how you know that you're going through that. It's like you experience a loss of your identity. Yes. That's, that's grieving. Yeah. And what I really hear is throughout your process, it's really like accepting. There's a lot of acceptance mm -hmm. and I love the ball analogy because it's not like the ball goes away. Yep. It's not about, you know, fixing or getting rid of. Exactly. It's about how can this ball make you suffer less? Mm -hmm. Like how can you sit with these things, but they aren't demons to you anymore? Right. How can you make meaning? And that's grief work is making meaning out of the loss. Yeah. The Healthy Charleston podcast is brought to you by Made to Move Physical Therapy. Made to Move Physical Therapy specializes in helping you get out of pain and get back to doing what you love. We offer relationship-oriented, one-on-one, individualized care to all of our clients, and we believe in putting the patient's needs first. If you'd like to work with me or any of our other physical therapists at Made to Move, check out the link in the show notes and get 10% off of your first session. We have locations throughout Charleston, Mount Pleasant, West Ashley, Somerville, and Daniel Island. Don't waste another day stuck in your pain. Follow the link and schedule an appointment today. I love your your message of embracing life for its possibilities. What does that process look like and how do you help your clients and patients find acceptance and find their identity and answer right. the who are you <laughs> question? Well, those things all go together usually. When people come to therapy, there's some triggering event that's happened recently and we dig into, okay, what was that? So whether it's a breakup, um, moving to a new town and not knowing how to life, <laughs> then <laughs> how to adult. Yes, <laughs> how it's to like adult. a change. A change happens. Yeah, big life transitions. Then why is that causing you a problem? Because the the trigger is just a trigger. It's like money. It's just there, right? Yeah. What you make of it and how you use it, how you apply meaning to it, is what's actually causing you distress. So. Let's talk about what this means to you, that there was this breakup or this move or whatever life transition, this illness. Does it mean that you're broken? Does it mean that you're incapable, that you're not lovable? What is that core belief? And usually once we dig down, and that takes a variety of different methods and amount of time, depending on the emotional intelligence of the person and you know, how aware they are of their own 
emotions, how to label them, usually we're able to identify, okay, here's your core belief. It, it's it's held together in this nice little package of one sentence. <laughs> so we're not that unique, right? Right. Yeah. As as people. But but we are, because it depends on, you know, what's what's the meaning and what do you have to do to dig down to get to that one statement. So that's where we start. And then, okay, is that really true? And that's where CBT usually comes into play. So cognitive behavioral therapy is looking at what maladaptive or unhelpful beliefs do you have? Like, I'm not lovable. I'm incapable. I'm unsafe, even as a good one. And let's test it against reality here. Is that true? Because you're doing all these other things that prove otherwise. And so a lot of psychology and treatments are based on cognitive behavioral therapy as the foundation and I love it because it uh, gets really to the root and the core. And it's one of the most confrontational <laughs> aspects really just of, to it. of treatment. Yes. We're not going to play around here. We're going to get you some results, right? And so that doesn't mean I go in, you know, um, like a bull in a china shop. But you're wrong. Do, right. Yeah. <laughs> you're wrong. You are lovable. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so it's a matter of just asking those hard questions, though, and then offering compassion when the answer isn't so pretty. So like getting to the root, it normally, and I, I completely agree, like I wish everyone would just like go to therapy because they know that we're human and we all suffer from these things, but it normally does take like a trigger, mm -hmm. something, a change. And, and I think some people are like aware of those changes and how it affected them. And then like you said, some people, they're just like, why am I feeling this way? So there's this change and then we unpack and we unpack and we unpack and it's it's causing them to suffer because of this. Yeah. And then it's taking that and like retraining their beliefs around that and also like mm -hmm. having them prove it to their themselves. So you're like getting inside their brain to like show them the mirror <laughs> inside their brain and be like, look, see? That's so a very good analogy, really. M mirroring is, is a good term to use for that because – I'm, I have no dog in this fight, right? Like I have no opinion. You talk to mom, dad, sister, brother, you know, child, whatever, and they're going to have their opinion. Well, you shouldn't talk to them anymore or, you know, you just get over it and move on or, you know, you poor thing, whatever it is, they're going to have their opinions <laughs> and they're going to project. And what's very different about therapy is that, yeah, I'm more of a mirror. Okay. You just said you got this award or recognition at your job, but then you also just said that you're terrible at your job or something like that, right? Or in your relationships. And so there's evidence that I'm hearing you're missing because you have this internal core belief, right? You're missing the messages that are actually based in fact and reality. So if I can hold up that mirror and they can they can reflect that, you know, you said getting in their brain and, and some of that is just, hold on, let's slow down. Did you hear what you just said? And again, if any of my current clients hear this, they'll laugh to themselves because oh, they you hear that, that a lot. Time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, like, hold on. Did you hear that? 
did you hear what you just said? Say it again. Yeah, say, yeah. say it one mm -hmm. more time. And they'll, you know, maybe some for some of them it takes a minute, but I have several of them. We have a really good way to tete-a-tete -tete back and forth. And and they'll laugh almost immediately when they realize that yeah. what, the, what is they've they're said, like, oh, maybe they've contradicted me. themselves. Yeah. So you're like the detective. I picture yeah. you as, have you seen the, like, it's always sunny in Philadelphia mm -hmm. meme with like, you're showing them all the evidence and you're like, you see this? What does that mean? I definitely also watch a lot of like crime shows. So what are some ways that you help people process trauma? If someone comes to me with trauma, and I, I mentioned before that could look like anything. Trauma is experiencing a negative event and moving forward without resolution, meaning making, right? So grief can become complex and traumatic because there's a loss involved. But if there's an experience that tells you, I'm not safe, like you have a car accident, right? I'm not safe. So every time you get behind the wheel of a car, I'm not safe comes to mind without maybe you even realizing it. Because for some reason, your brain is trying to protect you. Mm -hmm. It's that. Your brains are so good at They're that. so good at protecting <laughs> you. Um, and it's trying to tell you, hey, watch out, be careful. You might be in danger. And sometimes in extreme situations, you are in danger and you start having flashbacks and reliving that because your brain's sending up these signals saying, I want to protect you. So people often get very irritated with that and it gets really old because it's getting in the way of living life. So mm. if you've had a car accident and you can't drive anymore because you have too much anxiety, then you're going to experience that as your brain trying to protect you when you don't need it. So that's trauma. Having processed a negative experience or or just significant experience and and now it has become negative right so instead of it being an adaptive response it's maladaptive instead of it being a helpful response well i'm not going to you know run a red light anymore <laughs> text while driving or something yeah. like i'm i've learned that i'm not going to do this thing that puts me in danger it's cars are dangerous Okay. And it's like that affects and like narrows your life. Narrows your life down. So you can't do those things without being really anxious. So in our world, I mean, who doesn't have anxiety right now in, in our world? So a lot of times it's those negative poor beliefs or negative messages coming from our brain. Hey, watch out, protect yourself. But we, we aren't really even realizing that we're having those messages running around behind the scenes. So Identifying that usually starts with some CBT, um, but EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, is a really, really effective bang for your buck kind of therapy. Uh, and I don't want to cheapen it by saying that, but honestly, the research shows that people who are looking to process trauma go for significantly uh, fewer sessions with a therapist when they when they have EMDR treatment versus traditional talk therapy, which is you know DBT solutions focused um, CBT something like that. So what is EMDR and like what does that look like in practice? Yeah, so it's relatively new. Was developed by a woman who was working with veterans and uh, Vietnam vets in particular, and it's really very safe. 
effective method to treat um, anything from adult childhood trauma, negative beliefs, anxiety, depression, et cetera. <laughs> PTSD was the uh, what it w- was what it was created for, but really it can be treated or it can be used to treat children and adults. So for me, uh, at treating only adults, you've may see that you become less emotionally activated by invasive memories, your anxiety will go down because what we are targeting in EMDR is the negative core belief. So it's not hypnosis. (laughs) Um, It's completely different um, than hypnosis. You are in charge and fully alert and participating. You would be guiding every session as a client or patient. Even better, you can learn and and pick which positive beliefs you'd rather have about yourself and the world. Uh, so in the first session, you might even leave feeling like you shed 50 pounds of baggage. It's pretty incredible. Like I have seen really rapid improvements from people in providing it. I've experienced uh, EMDR treatment myself. And as someone who suffers from a type of arthritis and fibromyalgia, I did not know that it was a somatic presentation of pain until I was practicing EMDR with uh, another person learning it, actually. They were practicing on me. So in training, we processed through a memory. I just picked one at random for fun. Oh, no. Yep. <laughs> like, let's let's practice let's just that. traumatic yeah. memory. And it was kind of incredible. Did not anticipate that as a side effect. But what happened the next day, uh, so I've had pain uh, for, let's see, since I was about 20, so not to give away my age too directly, but about 14 years. There you go. Um, and I've, I've just lived with it. So we practiced EMDR. I had these odd, like, shivery sensations afterwards. One of the therapists that was practicing on me said, you know, it's funny because it reminds me of in the wild, after the animal's experience of fight or flight, they shake it off. And that's where that term comes from. Really? Yes. They oh. shiver. And it's to get that extra adrenaline mm. and other stress hormones out of their system. And I shivered for, and I don't mean like cold shivered. I mean like caught a chill shivered for maybe like 30 minutes, which was very strange. You're like, what's happening What's to my happening, body? right? <laughs> it's very involuntary. Not troubling, but just odd. And then the next day, I, I kid you not... I woke up and felt like I had a brand new body. It sounds unbelievable because it is, you know, a little unbelievable, but I did not buy into the somatic presentation of pain nearly as much. I had heard about it. I had heard of studies and then I experienced it. And I, that was a seven months ago, the pain has not returned which is kind of incredible. Dang. Right. Yeah. Um, and so when I told my instructor this, when I came back, because it's a 40-hour training, we have to go for uh, EMDR to learn it. He said, oh, yeah, that can happen. I said, what? Oh, he nobody even, like, told me. Yeah, it. nobody. Why would you, right? But that's even more powerful. Like, I mean, I think the placebo is amazing and very powerful. Right. But, like, you didn't even expect that. No. That wasn't I didn't even, know like, it was a, a thing. Yeah. No. So that's part of the thing is that it's, it's evidence-based, though. So we're not, like – fiddling around with neurons and and doing bizarre things here. Like I'm not going to do mind control on you or anything. It is clinician led, right? It's psychotherapy. 
It helps treat substance abuse, you know, all that PTSD, anxiety, um, whatever you have associated with a negative core belief. And to be honest with you, those memories that I had that I processed that day are, I don't even remember what the negative core belief was. was. (laughs) Um, I remember the memory. So the thing is, you're going to have those memories. We're not erasing your memories. This isn't like men in black or anything, but it's reprocessing it. So it, when I think of that memory, it doesn't bother me. Yeah, that happened. Yeah, it was messed up. You're not like changing your whole experience in life based on that memory anymore. Exactly. Yep. So there's, there's a somatic side to it. So what EMDR is, so getting into the meat of it a little more, it is adaptive information processing. So say that five times fast. Yeah, right. <laughs> and it, it poses that much of psychopathology, right, like I've mentioned, is due to unhelpful beliefs or, or incomplete processing of traumatic or disturbing adverse life experiences, right? So it impairs, these beliefs impairs the person's ability to integrate these experiences in a more helpful way. Okay, it's an eight-phased, I'm going to use a little bit of jargon here, but stick with Mm -hmm. me. Eight-phased, three-pronged process facilitates resumption of normal functioning through processing and integration. Okay, so what does that mean? right? Yeah. All right. So (laughs) don't get too caught up in it. As a client or a therapist experiencing it, no no matter what, and and by the way, I I still continue to go for EMDR treatment. It's completely different. I'm not going in saying, oh, he's in phase three right now. You don't need to know all the jargon, but what you are doing, you identify a core belief that you have. Well, Maybe you, and sometimes you start with a memory, but if you don't have one, you can just say, I don't know, I'm just anxious, right? And then we go, we float back, we work on it together. If you don't remember all the memory, it's okay. You can still reprocess that. So you have a memory you want to process, let's say you were in a car accident and you have learned, I'm not safe, okay? If you reprocess that memory through bilateral stimulation, and that done virtually looks like maybe giving yourself like a butterfly hug. You you cross your arms in front of you and you tap your shoulders. Maybe you tap your uh, knees or lift one heel off the ground alternately. That's bilateral stimulation. So what bilateral stimulation is, you are activating left brain and right brain, just like REM sleep. That's where the eye movement part comes in, right? Most people know of REM sleep as the eyes are moving back very, very rapidly. It's a completely natural phenomenon. The dreams, right? That's the lightest state of sleep where you are processing what happened during the day. Um, oh, something must have happened yesterday because I had some weird. You had some weird dreams. <laughs> I always do. We can, we can talk about that later. You have very healthy processing mechanisms. You're really maybe that really time. getting into the meat of it every night. <laughs> so. That's what it is, is right? This is simulating REM sleep. All we're doing is activating left side of the body and the right side of the body to simulate this REM sleep where you are activating both sides of the brain. So what you're doing in REM sleep, you are processing what happened during the day, maybe even days ago. Okay, you go to the fridge and there's no milk. 
Okay. Yep, that actually happened to yeah, me yesterday. Yeah, that happened to you yesterday. So crazy dreams, right? <laughs> you have to remember to get milk. Mm-hmm. So that night you go to sleep and your brain says, oh, she has to remember to get milk. I'm going to leave that in her working memory <laughs> and I'm not going to tuck it away to long-term memory, right? Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> so then the next morning you go to get milk or maybe you go to get cereal and you're like, oh, I don't have milk because you remember. Okay. But if you were to go get milk before you went to sleep that night, your brain would tuck it back into long-term memory. You would remember that you went to go get milk that day, right? But you wouldn't stop yourself before you went to the fridge to get cereal, okay? So if that's a if that is clear enough of an analogy. So is this why, and this could be completely different, like you're laying in bed, you have a million thoughts. Yes. I always write down all of my like thoughts and things. I'm always thinking about like, what did I not get done or what I need to do tomorrow? Oh. Write them all down. You do that before bed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, get them all out. Mm-hmm. Otherwise at 3 a.m. I'm like, oh, I need to email this person. Yes. But it's kind of like a, I don't have to worry about it. It's already somewhere else. Yep. Is that why that That's helps? That's very, very similar. Okay. Yes. To processing because, okay, Hannah's brain doesn't have to worry about it. She doesn't have to remember because- She's already written it down, and I remember that. So I'm going to tuck that way into long-term memory. I don't need to worry about it. Mm-hmm. So you might sleep better. Yep. That's why some people, when they say prayers before bed or they journal before like bed. Like meditate. When I meditate, meditate before bed, I or like yep. switch my brain to something that's not work, mm-hmm. I sleep way better. Yep. That's why. Yep. You are giving your brain a leg up on the process. You're welcome, brain. Yep. <laughs> I think – I just want to like highlight how – cool this is, like how powerful we know the brain and the mind body is, are, whatever. And like, this is one of those things that I'm like meditation that like 10, 15 years ago wasn't researched. It was woo woo. It was like, oh, whatever. And now we have all of this research that shows how effective and beneficial and how it like, you know, changes our structure physically and physiologically. But I also think there's like a category there that we don't always understand why these things work and we don't always have to. Yes. Especially with the brain. Like we are, there's been so many like advances with, with chronic pain and anxiety and the brain and the power of the brain and all those things. And like, we're getting somewhere, but all we're really, we're understanding is like this thing in our head is so, so powerful. Mm -hmm. And I just think it's really cool. Yes. I feel like I'm a nerd. Like obviously, (laughs) I am too. Yeah. So we were talking a little bit before about resourcing. Yep. Can you explain a little bit what that is? Yeah. So resourcing is usually what we start with. It is a clinician-led process to sort of dip your toes into processing. Um, and just see how you respond to it. This is why you never, never, never go on YouTube and do DIY EMDR. That's people. a thing. <laughs> That's a thing. Yes. And I'm telling you this to only caution you against it. Yes. Because you can dissociate and you can have additional triggering memories come up if you access those neural pathways on your own without somebody to help you stay grounded. Okay. So if you've seen it, nothing against the people that are posting it. I have no, no issue. It is just how you are using it for people, especially who have never had any type of EMDR before. So just word to the wise there. Now resourcing. (laughs) Good disclaimer. I had to go. Yeah. Um, I had to get on my soapbox there for a minute. Um, but so resourcing is just feeling out, okay, what kind of resources, inner resources, do you have? How resilient are you or 
to processing this memory. What is your brain going to do? Is it going to shut me down in trying to access more memories and label your emotions and reprocess that core belief? Or are you going to be receptive to it? So it also helps people feel like it's not woo-woo, right? Mm. That sort of you're doing witchcraft on me and I don't have any control, right? Yeah. It helps them become more comfortable. So there's a few different exercises that I usually start people with to see, okay, are you going to dissociate on me? Um, or what does that mean? To dissociate. dissociate. Okay. So dissociating means are you going to shut down? on me? Is your brain going to put up a wall and say, nope, not processing this, no matter how hard you try, there's something keeping you from doing it. That's that monkey mind, fight or flight, not safe to do this, right? So part of that is building trust with the clinician, right? If I create a safe space and we know each other at least a little bit and you have confidence in me that I have your best interest at heart and I'm not going to do anything unethical or, oh you know, actually put you under hypnosis or anything, you. which I can't do because I don't know hypnosis, but yes. Um, then it helps a lot because that's just a defense mechanism, right? So resourcing would be, um, I usually give people the option. There's a safe, calm, secure place exercise, and there's a container exercise, which I actually preferred, it's a, it's a personality preference thing, I guess. So it's actually something that I would be willing to offer practicing with you here if you want to give it Let's a shot. Let's do it. Yeah? I'm so down. Okay. And I mean, we'll see what comes up. We'll Maybe see what I'll comes up. I don't know. So yes, other <laughs> disclaimer, this is not treatment. This is not processing a uh, significant trauma or anything like that. This is like the milk in the fridge kind of scenario, right? So let's do designing the container. You game? Yeah, for sure. All right. So your container needs to have three characteristics, okay? So it needs to be strong enough to hold whatever you put into it. Your container needs to have a two-way system that allows you to put whatever you want into the container and take all or part of it back out when you're wanting to work with it. And your container needs to be comfortable enough inside so whatever you put in it will want to stay there until you're ready to work with the experience. So tell me about your container. Oh, so I'm creating this container. Yes. Oh, I'm not going to do it for you. Oh, I'm just like, no. So it has to be strong enough. Yeah. It has to be comfortable enough. You have to be able to get in and out. Yes. Oh. Do you want me to give you an example? Or do you want to do it on your own? No. Let me see if I can okay. figure this out. Um, Like, is this a riddle? Like, that's what I feel like. <laughs> I mean, I'm picturing. There's no right or wrong, Hannah, so okay. it's okay. It has to be strong enough, which means it needs to be like steel. Am I like actually? Steel is good. Okay. Yeah. Like. Do I need to describe how big it is? Yes. Oh, I mean, how? Give me all the details. Um, it's it's very big. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. Yeah. Um, quite a large steel. Large steel. Let's make it a square. Steel square. Okay. Um, with a door. With a door. The, just a regular old door. Okay, like a door you can walk in. And out. And out. <laughs> Have to. In case you need to, in and out door. Got it. Um, but inside, it's like all, you know, like a sectional, but like. That's just the ground. Like it is a is cushion. Everything is okay. covered with cushion. Oh, okay. What color is the cushion? I'm picturing like a light blue. Mm -hmm. Like a relaxing. Of course, yeah. obviously. 
you can't tell when you're in it that it's steel because that would be terrifying. Oh, yeah. It's just <laughs> it's really intimidating. You're just in like a relaxation room. But what's really cool about it is there it's when you're in it, it's surrounded by windows. Oh. But I mean But not from the outside. Exactly. From oh. the outside, it's just like black and it's this steel very or creative. whatever color yeah. steel is. <laughs> God, right. I don't know. <laughs> it's black. I painted it black. It's black. No, black is good. I'll add that. To um, the list but when too. you yeah. walk in you are surrounded by like the most beautiful beach mountainscape and you feel like you're sitting on the Beaches beach. Beaches and mountains. Yeah, That is so cool. Right? Like so in like, Brazil or something. I don't know, like uh, Hawaii, California vibe. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. Or like, you know, this is what, this is where this is coming from. Hmm. All those like Pinterest pictures of Bora Bora where like you're on a hut in the middle of this beautiful ocean. Yes. That is my container. Okay. Let's be honest. Awesome. Um, but it's very, very comfortable inside in terms of like, you're just you can lay down on it and you feel like you're on a bed or a couch. Wow, cool. Did I yes. meet the requirements? You met all the requirements. When so are we going to this container? We're gonna do it now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, this sounds great. Yes. So t- <laughs> tell me how it feels knowing that you can use your container to put things into that when you are ready to work on them or until you're ready to work on them. And tell me what you notice. Oh, they're going to be nice and protected in there and they're going to be comfortable and I'm not going to lose them. How do you feel knowing that you can use the container? I wanted to say safe and like safe. I think that's what how it, yeah. it just kind of like, oh, this is good. Like I'll hold that for later. Yep. Um, Kind of like, oh, I know my dog is safe at home and it's great. Yeah. It's going to be contained. It's not going to get out. It's just going to be there. And then when I get home, I'll open it up and it'll be great. Awesome. Good. You have control. Mm-hmm. Yep. Even when you don't, you don't have to like attend to it. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. So here's the fun part. We're going to do deepening with bilateral stimulation, right? BLS. So what you're going to do, how do you want to do that? Do you want to cross your arms and tap or do you want to tap your knees? I'll do knees. Knees. Okay, cool. Get comfortable. Mm -hmm. There you go. I'm in my container. Yeah. So notice your positive emotions, that you're safe, you don't have to be in control, you don't have to attend to anything, any sensations or thoughts, okay? Just notice it. And then we're going to tap through with slow bilateral sets, and it's just going to be like, there you go. You can close your eyes if you want. Oh, okay. Great. Okay, so just relax and open your eyes. What did you notice? It was just nice. It was just nice. It It just feels nice. nice. It feels nice. It feels like a guided meditation. And like those are always really relaxing. Yeah. So you notice you were thinking about your container and what it looked like and things were good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just pleasant. Okay. Pleasant. It's a good word. Okay, cool. So let's give your container a cue word or a phrase. What do you think you want to call it? Oh, I have to name Mm -hmm. my container. Oh, that's really hard. I thought you were going to tell me a word to open it, and I was going to say watermelon, but I definitely <laughs> don't want to call it watermelon. Um, you can call the container watermelon if you want. <laughs> let's, because that's all I can think of now. Let's, it's, watermelon. it's watermelon. Okay, cool. Watermelon, the container. All right. <laughs> yes, of course. Yes, I love it. So let's deepen it a little bit, this um, container, with slow bilateral sets here. So go ahead and close your eyes. Repeat bu- Watermelon. Um, out loud a lot, uh, no just okay. quietly to yourself <laughs> no one's ever gonna listen to me again <laughs> uh can yeah just notice the positive emotions tapping on your knees watermelon everything's safe and secure great 
Okay. Now think of a mildly disturbing experience. And I mean, like on a zero to 10 scale, think of two. Mm-hmm. Keep going. Oh, no, stop. Oh, okay. oh I have to. <laughs> yeah, oh, just let me know what it is. Definitely my three hours of traffic. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. three. Okay. So what level would you give that? Just make sure it's a two. I still would give it a two mostly because I'm like, I wasn't hurt. Yeah. I, my day is okay. Like it was frustrating, but I'm like, eh. you sure it's a two? You is it a three? Um, <laughs> what would be, I would say like walking. So we still create our dogs, like walking into their crate and like someone had an accident. I'm just like, eh, it's okay. annoying, okay. but like, it's not catastrophic anymore. It's not a big deal. So right. zero to 10, what's your number? I would say two. Two. Okay, cool. Yeah. All right. We just want to make really, really sure. Okay, okay. cool. So this <laughs> is ten. mildly experienced, <laughs> yeah. yeah, mildly disturbing experience. So now close your eyes and start tapping. Think of that mildly disturbing experience, walking in, one of the dogs is peed in the crate. Okay, just notice how that two out of 10 sits with you. Now put that experience into your container, put it away secure. Great, and relax and open your eyes. What'd you notice? I noticed thinking about like, I tried to picture like opening the room, seeing the crate. Oh, they peed. Like I was like, I felt annoyed. I also felt a little like increase in heart rate of just like a, yes. Like, ugh. Yes. Um, whereas before when we were just talking about watermelon and the container, <laughs> it was nice and relaxing. Um, and so like it took me from opening their crate, being a little bit annoyed, and then like putting them in this nice, very comfortable, beautiful container. Or not them, I guess. The experience. Yeah. Yeah. Put the yeah. dogs in the Put the dogs. While That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, you kind of go back to that like nice, restful, yep. everything's fine state. That's perfect. So that's exactly what we would expect out of a, a zero to 10 scale. Like it's going to blip up a little bit, sort of like a wave, and then it's going to fall back down and you're going to be nice and steady. And at the end of a session of EMDR, that's where we want to leave you, right? So starting with a two, it should be a little bit of a blip. Did you say, would you say you maybe got up to a three or 3.5 when you were processing, like that increase in heart rate represented an increase in your disturbance a little bit? Or would you say, yeah, yeah, maybe a little bit. And then now what are you at? About that experience or just overall? The experience and overall. Oh, like nothing. Like zero. Yeah. Okay, cool. So that's what we expect for like a two out of 10, right? Yeah. Okay. It's going to take, how long did that take? Maybe like four minutes. Yeah. yeah, total. Me explaining it to you and everything it's too, true. right? So if we're working with something that's like a 10 out of 10, we might not get to a zero in yeah. one session, right? We might get to a five or a four. Some people do get to a zero and that's great. But this is where we use this container to put it into that experience, whatever's left over, that four out of 10 experience mm. into, and it's safe and secure, and we don't have to worry about it, and we can go on with the rest of our day, and then we do a body scan, and we make sure that you're nice and neutral, and you're not like fidgety or agitated, or you know, if you have your palms sweating and you can't focus, stuff like that. I'm not going to send you out into the world <laughs> to go right. do life. Enjoy. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to make sure that you're, you're good and you're balanced and you're, you know, maybe we didn't process through everything, but I'm not going to leave you raw. So a lot of people report like feeling a little 
little fuzzy maybe, uh, a little dreamy mm. afterwards. Um, once we do the body scan and we put whatever's left into the container, they say they usually have some nutso dreams that night. Some people, me included, sleep like a baby. Um, if that was I my sleep experience. like a baby, I'm going to see you every single day. <laughs> I would welcome yeah. it. <laughs> that would be great. It's a pretty incredible process. So, you know, one session, let's say a side of a subjective unit of disturbance, uh, let's say like five out of 10, we could probably crush in one session. So if there's something that you've been hanging on to for some years or, and I will say the more recent the experiences, the quicker you process through it. It's how trauma works. Like think of a wound and like scabbing on top of a wound or something like you don't want to dig under that. It's going to be uncomfortable, but if you clean it out when it's nice and fresh, it's a lot easier and the wound uh, heals a lot quicker. So don't wait (laughs) until that, that experience happens and you can't do life anymore know that it's okay. There's no stigma. There's no right or wrong to therapy. I'm here, right? Other clinicians are here. And if you don't see me, I'm not, I'm not possessive. (laughs) It's totally fine to go see someone else, right? Because you need, there's different fits for everyone. But I just strongly encourage for this, this, the health of our community, the mental health of our community, if you are experiencing some kind of somatic pain or trauma, and you've been through something recently, please don't wait and like live this short life that way. Let yourself be compassionate enough towards yourself and those people who have to be around you. Those people too. (laughs) Right? To go ahead and get support that you need to process through this stuff so eventually you don't need therapy anymore, right? The hope is to send you off into the world and then if you ever need a tune-up, you know, we're here. And that's part of, I think, the message that that we're just offering is is to support the community in healing. Love that. Amber, this has been amazing. Thank you so much. I'm going to have you come to my office every day and do that with me. <laughs> Where can our listeners find you and connect with you? Yes. So I am on Facebook um, and just started a little baby Pinterest account. So awesome. yeah, uh, but go to www.tidestherapy.com. Um, you can email me amber.tidestherapy at gmail. Oh, you're giving out your email. You are yes, bold. You can, yeah. Email. <laughs> email all day, right? So just reach out to me. I am out of network with insurance, but happy to offer. I know a lot of uh, clinicians that offer like super bills and stuff to keep it affordable for reimbursement, but I am here. If you need anything, check out the website. Thank you, Amber, so much. Thank you. If you want to keep up with or connect with Amber and Tides Therapy, those links are in the show notes below. Otherwise, be sure you subscribe to the show. New episodes are out every Monday. Till then, have a great week, Charleston. Charleston.